Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Obviously, the board blew up in my face. I wanted to cut that song about 30 seconds ago, but it decided to not play play ball with me. Anyway, welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio. I am your producer. They let me out of my cage for a little while, but joining me is also Drew DeArmond. How you doing this evening, Drew? Doing good, Thomas. How you doing, bud? Pretty good. We're waiting on Carrie, but in the meantime, Drew, I have a question for you. Sure. We obviously at the end of last week we had a chance to look at the preseason all SEC teams, and I'm sure you've covered this ad nauseum on your radio show to point about already to knock my head off for even suggesting it. But what was your take on like from what we saw? I know that uh, Cam Robinson made first team offense, and to the surprise of absolutely nobody, Reggie Ragland made first team defense among others. So what was your thought looking at that? Well, you know those were to be expected. I think Reggie in my opinion, is one of the top two to three linebackers in the SEC, maybe the top linebacker, based upon the production he had last year and then the spring where I thought he was dominant and looked like a top-of-the-first-round kind of guy, top-15 pick. Cam Robson, uh, you know, three sacks as a true freshman left tackle in the SEC, playing through the, the, the surgery for a high ankle sprain after the Tennessee game. Did miss some snaps during games, but did not miss any starts, showed a lot of toughness. Uh, I think he's obviously uh, the best player at his position, really in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, you know, the one thing I was surprised at, Thomas, when I got a chance to vote at SEC Media Days, was that King and Drake was in the running back category, but not in the category of all-purpose. And uh, I think he should be an all-purpose guy. 
he played a lot of wide receiver before he got hurt last year. I don't know why people didn't really take on to that. I mean, ask Will Muschamp about the first play of the game against the Gators. Everybody remembers that. Um, and, you know, and he and if he had played more uh, and not got injured, he may not even have come back for his senior season. But I think he would have been an all-purpose guy. And he's going to return kickoff this year, I believe. But again, he was in the running back category. So I actually did vote him second team All SEC, Thomas, because in my opinion, he's going to have a monster senior year. I, I can't say I disagree, and I didn't even realize that all-purpose back wasn't a category. It shows you how yeah. completely out of touch I've been with this whole voting process. Yeah, it's a. I was, you know, it was my first time voting because it was my first time at SEC Media Days, but they have added an all-purpose category. Uh, so, and uh, Kenyon Drake was not part of that. So. My four backs, and, of course, some of my friends got mad at me because I didn't vote Derrick Henry in the top four. Uh, but I voted, of course, Leonard Fournette, who I think is going to be SEC Offensive Player of the Year. Um, Nick Chubb, those are the first two, the, the two first-team obvious choices. And then Kenyon Drake, and then here's where, you know, I drew the ire of, my, of a few of my friends. I, drew, I voted Jalen Hurd of Tennessee because I think he's going to have a big year, and I think they I picked him second in the East. So, I think that now Derrick Henry could easily have twelve or thirteen hundred yards, and no question about it. But they only allow you to pick four, Thomas. And right. uh, there's so there's a lot of good backs in the league, and so I had decided I had to kind of go uh, with head over heart there. Oh, certainly. And, and Jalen Hurd, I, I see where you could get some grief, but at the same time, it's not like Hurd was a pushover as a true freshman. No, he was a great all-around back. I saw him live in Knoxville, catching, blocking, running. And I just thought he was very impressive. I thought he finished the year very strong. Um, you know, and they won the bowl game. They they come back against South Carolina and things of that nature. And I think the the, the transfer Alvin Kamara is going to be a good compliment to him. I asked Butch Jones about that at SEC Media Days about Hurd and Kamara. He said Hurd they're on him about his physical conditioning and taking it to the next level and being focused all the time and on doing his job on every play and. I think they have very high expectations with him being 6'3", 240-plus pounds, and they just want him to, you know, be in shape, be focused, and, and again, to, you know, be assignment sound. And I just think they really like uh, they, they like their chances with him being their feature guy. And then he, he said Alvin Kamara, he said all he's done is, you know, been quiet and played football at Tennessee. If he'd have shut his mouth at Alabama, he'd be playing right now because his film was elite. I think he was an elite talent and. Uh, if he can stay out of trouble and uh, you know and, and not uh, talk his way off the football team, he's going to be a, an impact guy at Tennessee. Absolutely, and uh, we are joined by Kerry Clark. Kerry, how you doing this evening? Doing well, doing well. I did vote for Derrick Henry, by the way. Yes, I, it was either going to be Henry or Kenyon Drake. If Drake had been in the all-purpose category, he would have got my vote, and then I would have voted Derrick Henry. But had to choose one or the other, and I, I chose Kenyon. I voted for both of them. That was that was two. My other two were. Uh, Fournette and Chubb. Yep. I don't think Hurd's the best back on the young team. You know, you think so? You think Alvin Kamara will be the best back on that team? Yes, yeah, statistically, I do. He may very well be, but I, I just really liked what I saw out of Hurd as a true. Freshman. I think I think Hurd is a plotter. Looks like he runs about a four six. He's a tough running kid, but I mean, I wasn't blown away by him. He might be always to see down the road, but I didn't vote him this year for it. I might vote him back next year, though. It'd be a lot of turnover running back next year. But anyway, are we going to have any guests tonight? Yes, we are. We are. Rodney Orr is slated to join us in any minute at seven o'clock. Uh, he, 
I'm sure uh, I'll, he'll he will be joining us in a, in, a, in just a few moments. Uh, but uh, we're going to have him to talk a little bit of recruiting uh, for a few minutes. He's also got another commitment later tonight, but we're going to have him on just for a few minutes to kick off the show a little bit and kind of update us on the last summer camp for the Crimson Tide. How about telling Ryan Fowler that he can pick a different night for Rodney to be on the show? Just a thought. I mean, it's just that just so happy that's kind of how the the cookie crumbled, that's but uh, we will time. see. The second time it's crumbled that way. Oh well. But oh well, that's okay. The uh, the unofficial member of the uh, Robertson family from Duck Dynasty, I guess it's uh, first year on one. But it's yeah, all good. Well, I mean, I, I I did not know about that commitment until tonight. I know he's in a regular rotation with Ryan, but we will see. And uh, uh, I'm going to have uh, – we'll, we will be efforting uh, to get um, Rodney on the show here in just a second and catch us up. But uh, it's going to be interesting because I, I think uh, uh, Alabama's about to add one or two more pieces to the puzzle. They're not going to add one Friday. Uh, Xavier Kelly's going to go to Clemson. But I will say that Alabama's going to continue to recruit him. They like him a lot. Well, not a ton of spots left in the class. I'm thinking maybe eight or nine spots left. And uh, at some point, you got to get to the point where you just don't take everybody. I mean, I know he's a good player, but, you know, was it, it going to be a class maker or breaker? Let's just say that. Yeah, I completely understand. Good player, but, you know. He's a jack linebacker. They really like him. They also like Janarius Robinson. And uh, so we will see. But, again, uh, we – uh, it's going to be uh, uh, interesting to see how the last nine or ten spots go. I mean, I've been talking to several people in the business, and the class is filled up quickly. And the next one uh, will have a very familiar last name. He will commit on July the 28th. And uh, me, I wondered for a long time if he had a spot, but just to expect uh, Sean Darius Jennings to join the class. Of oh, the Alabama class? Yes. Well. I saw Sean Darius play last year when I went down to scout Anthony, and uh, I thought he was a pretty good player. Uh, again, not a class maker or breaker, but a guy that can help you down the road. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, maybe I, as a safety, I'd probably compare him to somebody like Derek Williams, the guy who made a solid contribution at the university. So, uh He's got some ability, and they can coach him up. And uh, definitely, he's an athlete. I mean, he definitely's got good speed. He's got decent speed. Uh, he'll hit you. So uh, that's pretty cool that they're taking him. I, I like that. I just wonder, do they project him as a safety or somewhere else? Very likely an outside linebacker. Yeah, and, and I get that. And now uh, joining us, as we were just uh, lauding his abilities as a recruiting reporter is Rodney Orr of TiderInsider.com, the founder and owner of that longtime website. Rodney, how are you this evening? Hey, Drew. How are you guys doing? Doing really well, man. We were just uh, kind of talking about Sean Darius Jennings. I know you've been all over that situation, uh, Anthony Jennings' brother from Dadeville. Uh, and, of course, you had a piece on Tider Insider about that last night. He will be announcing his commitment on a, uh, July the 28th, pardon me, but it looks definitely like he's going to be part of the class at Alabama. Well, I mean, you know, Drew, you never know these days, uh, you know, how things are going to go. Right. But that's kind of been the story that uh, everybody's been kind of selling is that, you know, for a while that Sean Jennings would ultimately end up in the class. And, you know, again, I, I, I'm not 100% certain on that in terms of, 
you know, where that all stands. But, you know, that's kind of been the take everybody's had. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Roddy, uh, welcome again to BAMS Radio. We're so glad to have you. And I wanted to ask you about that. What I, I really can't think of a better word than bizarre situation that unfolded yesterday where a player and his father both announced that the player had signed a football scholarship to play at Alabama. But truth be told, pretty good sources seem to think that the player really signed a track scholarship and is going to be a walk-on in football. And I was wondering if you could kind of clear it up for our listeners. Well, you know, I, I don't know what he signed or hasn't signed. I know the dad says he's signed a football scholarship. And uh, we're talking about Xavier Marks, of course, out of the Houston area, Richmond uh, George Ranch High School. That's out in Texas, obviously. And, uh, you know, here, here's the thing. I've got an interview with him, but, you know, when I spoke to – when we spoke to him, he said that he had yet to speak with Nick Saban. He also said that he had not, he had not spoken with a uh, – with an Alabama assistant that he was dealing with, had been uh, dealing with support staff. So, you know, my feeling was, and I'm not doubting anybody's word, but I I'm just felt like the best thing to do is kind of let, you know, the university or if, if he has signed, they'll they'll release it on their own time. And, you know, all we reported was on, on TiderInsider.com and TiderInsider TV was that, you know, he had tweeted out, uh, Xavier had tweeted out that he had signed with Alabama. And that's really all you can do is, you know, at this, but, you know, I haven't had any official word, you know, exactly what's going on. But, you know, it, like I said, he, his dad told us that he had not spoken with Nick Saban. And that was the day he, you know, it came out that he had signed. So they had yet to speak to Nick Saban or an assistant coach. I think that tells the story pretty well. And bringing Drew back in, I, I think Drew heard kind of what I heard, which was that he signed a track scholarship, would be a walk-on in football, and then after a year or two of watching him practice, they decide if they're going to move him over to a football scholarship. If he ever gets into a game, even to return one kickoff, he has to count against the 85. We know this much. But he doesn't have to get into a game uh, for any certain period of time. But, Drew, go ahead and tell us the way you heard it. Well, yeah, I I just said they would continue to evaluate him. I mean, there's guys like Parker Barino and uh, obviously uh, that, that that earned that, that earned scholarships uh, over time. Uh, obviously, uh, and also the young the young man. Uh, pardon me, Kerry, help me here. The kid from Hoover that is the fullback now that has earned a scholarship. Yeah, Michael Nicewander. Thank you very much, uh, Michael Nicewander. Nicewander and uh, Parker Barino have earned scholarships, and that could happen in the future, but. I think it would be a two to three year deal, and he would have to earn his stripes. I think he's going to be. On, I was told he would be on a track scholarship, and that he would be walking on at the university. And no disrespect to the young man, he looks very explosive on film and very very fast. But um, he I, he just doesn't fit the profile, uh, you know, for what Alabama was looking for. But he can definitely help them in practice. There's no doubt about that. And Dan Waters has done a great job working with Nick Saban with the football program to help both uh, the football and the track programs. And I know Rodney. Uh, uh, we we discussed this, but it can the the connections that their father has in track can really help Alabama in recruiting in the future. I certainly think so. When you're talking about, you know, he coached Tony Brown, Marty Smith, Kendall Sheffield, 
those guys in, in, in track as they were growing up. He's a USA track and field coach, and he's got a lot of contacts in Houston. You know, he's pretty well known and uh, has a good reputation, apparently, uh, in that field. So, I mean, I think, you know, his contacts with a lot of kids, that, you know, he has an opportunity to coach and to, to get become acquainted with uh, through track and field. I think that certainly uh, that opens some doors in terms of, you know, having someone that's a contact that could always put in a good word for you. Totally agree, and that's huge. And Dan Waters has done a great job of helping seal the deal with Tony Brown, allowing him to run track. Uh, obviously, Marlon Humphrey's done the same thing, Bradley Silva. And it's been a big-time boon, and uh, Coach Saban has used that to his advantage and will continue to use that. And I think that was a, a shrewd move uh, to get these two young kids who will both be track guys and walk-ons on the football program, and I think they'll help continue to attract dual athletes. A lot of football players run track. Uh, and I think it's really going to continue to help Alabama's football program. But, Rodney, uh, we can, I guess we can get your take also. Uh, the last elite camp was uh, this past week, and uh, some very interesting storylines came out of it. And, uh, uh, obviously, it looks like uh, Calvin Ridley's brother, Kevin, uh, performed very well. That's the word. I mean, you know, again, we knew he was a talented receiver, and, uh, you know, the word is that he showed out at the camp. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talented players down in the area where he plays uh, you know there's another kid down there that we know about for next year of course most people that follow recruiting know Jerry Judy and uh, you know Alabama's in a good position with him already too so uh, you know Alabama's done going to do extremely well down there recruiting with Mario Cristobal and uh, you know it'd be interesting to see if Kevin Ridley how he fits in this class because you know let's just be honest I mean you cannot take every guy and uh, somebody's not going to have a spot. I'm not saying that about Kevin Ridley. I'm just saying, you know, they've got T.J. Simmons committed. Uh, you know, I don't know how many receivers they'll take, maybe two more. I could, you know, I don't know that they got room to take three more. But, uh, you know, you got Trevon Diggs, who I think Trevon has made up his mind that he wants to come to Alabama. Uh, you know, again, I, I don't know if that's going to happen for sure. But I, I think Trevon's leaning very strongly to Alabama, very, very strongly to Alabama. There's you another receiver. And I look at him, too, and I see a guy who I think is very athletic. I think he looked pretty good at cornerback from just the video I saw. He looked like he could be a cornerback, looked like he could possibly play safety, too. Um, you know, so he's, he's obviously very versatile. He does not necessarily have to be a, a wide receiver. Um, if, if you decided to take him as, a, as an athlete, I think that's very possible that he could fill different roles. So, you know, you've got A.J. Brown, who I think A.J. really likes Alabama. I think his dad, who's going to be very instrumental in this decision, really likes Alabama. And, and I think, you know, certainly Alabama has a great shot at him, too, from Starkville, Mississippi. But, uh, you know, again, I, I just don't know how many – of these guys you're going to end up being able to take because they're in on some other guys and they hope to try to make a move on Tyree Cleveland out of the Houston area, Houston Westfield. Uh, he's a guy that was expected to come into the camp but did not make it. Uh, I don't know what Alabama's chances are going to be. I do think, you know, he's probably leaning towards staying in the state of Texas. But I know, you know, again, Alabama's trying to get in on him. And, you know, there's other receivers that they're recruiting. Demetrius Robertson, a lot of people think, you know, here's the, he's he's going to recommit to Alabama. So, uh, you know, again, Drew, I, I I don't know 
how they're going to figure out which ones they're taking or whatever, but you do know one thing, they can't take them all. Uh, you are 100% correct, Rodney. Uh, they can't take them all. And, you know, I was told that, of course, Cavan is considered uh, a wide receiver, but you know, guys like Demetrius Robertson, Diggs, they could they could even project on the other side, uh, both sides of the ball. So they may be signed as athletes, and they may just figure it out um, when they get to Alabama. There's no doubt there's probably only nine or ten spots left, but there could be attrition, as there is every year. And uh, you and I know we're very close to this situation, and we were working together to break this story first. Uh, and, uh, but there was another very intriguing uh, storyline to the to the the second to last day of camp on Wednesday, and that was a young kid from Mustang, Oklahoma, Blake Williams, who visited and uh, did quite well uh, in front of Nick Saban and the staff. Yeah, and uh, he did, and I think when you look at his size. Uh, Six three and a half, no, but actually six three and three quarters. He weighed in at Alabama at two twenty seven. He told me, and you know, he clocked a four seven, but he had clocked what a four five eight, I think, at North Carolina. So he's got legit. He's got legit speed. Let's just say he's four six five. You know, still that's really outstanding speed. Two hundred twenty seven, nearly two hundred and thirty pounds. And what's amazing about him? is the fact that he turned a, a 4-1 shuttle time, which is elite, you know, for a guy his size, the position he plays. I think that's an elite time. Um, you know, you don't find some cornerbacks that do that. So, uh, you know, I, I think the deal with Blake Blake is that he did not play. He has not played. You probably already discussed that high school football since, what, ninth grade. So, right, we haven't you know, really discussed it yet, but yeah, you're right. It's exactly right. He has not played since the ninth grade because he had a nerve disorder. Yeah, so you know he really doesn't have a lot to go on in terms of you know experience and people being able to look at a tape and see what he does in a game type setting. But um, you know, there's he he definitely has some talent. He earned a scholarship offer at North Carolina. I think Oklahoma State, Alabama, and Arkansas and Kansas State have all told him they want to watch some video first couple of games this year before they make a decision. I think Kansas State even actually, or not Kansas State, but I think he, um, it was Oklahoma State that told him had he played last year, they would have gone ahead and offered him. So, right. you know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, keep an eye on him. You, you never know what can happen. You know, and Alabama's still recruiting another guy that's a tight end type, Nick Eubanks, I guess, out of Florida. Uh, so, I mean, they're in on some guys. We'll just kind of see, uh, again, you got they're going to have some decisions to make. They really are, Rodney, and uh, Blake Williams is very intriguing because, as you said, he has he tried to play as a sophomore but couldn't uh, couldn't get strong enough for you know he, with the disorder that he had. They finally were able to treat it uh, with a doctor out in California, and then found one closer to his home in Oklahoma. But to get it under control, he he had trouble sustaining enough energy and uh, and uh, willingness as far as just uh, the ability to play football and, and, and have, you know, maximum effort for two for two to three hours in a day. He, he got fatigued very quickly, and he just couldn't uh, – he wasn't strong enough as a sophomore and then uh, – or, or, excuse me, as a junior uh, to come out and play. As a sophomore, he was bedridden for most of the year. So he's been an amazing story to come uh, back the way he has. They've got it under control, as we've seen. He's performed very well at every camp he's gone to, and – he could be a guy like Matt Womack. Matt Womack, of course, was evaluated by Alabama staff. Then they wanted to see him in his first month of games, his senior year. Uh, it's in Senatobia, Mississippi, and 
he performed very well, and they ended up offering him. He flipped from LSU, and from what I understand, Rodney, he's been pretty impressive. Uh, it, this, it's early. Uh, practice ball camp has not started, but I think Mario Cristobal likes what he's seen thus far. Yeah, uh, actually, I heard that today that, um, you know, I think that he's doing really well in some of their things that they're doing now uh, in their preparation for fall camp. And, you know, that's really good because Alabama does need tackles very badly. They've got two committed. They'd like to have another one. We've talked about Greg Little out of Texas, Allen, Texas, number one offensive tackle in the country, according to some people. Um, there's some people that argue with you that Jonah Williams, who's committed to Alabama, is the number one high school offensive tackle in the country. So, you know, they, they, they're, they're strong there with Jonah Williams and Charles Baldwin, the number one JUCO player committed. Uh, if they get Greg Little, that would be fantastic because he is an outstanding player from an outstanding program in the state of Texas, played against really good competition. Uh, you know, they're pretty well set at the guard spots, and they've got a couple of guys committed – Deontay Brown, as we've talked about, and, and Chris Owens. And now you look at the wide receiver spots. We talked about that. They got B.J. Emmons committed, who I think is a tremendous uh, running back prospect out of Morganton, uh, North Carolina. You know, when you talk about a guy that's, you know, almost six feet, 232 pounds, probably runs a 4.5 or better, uh, you know, he is a good-looking running back. I think he's a guy that fits the Alabama mold really, really well. You know, they're probably going to need another running back. We've thought all along they would take two. Uh, then you move to the defensive side. If you guys just, you know, if you want me to run down it, I'll, I'll certainly summarize. I don't want to get ahead of you guys. Um, but, um, you know, you look at I, I think one of the interesting things as Alabama's recruiting class starts to unfold is exactly which defensive lineman they get. Because I think Alabama really has a strong need, obviously, when you're talking about Jaron Reed is going to graduate, DJ Petway is going to graduate, Ashawn Robinson and Jonathan Allen. Certainly Robinson's considered almost a shoe-in to, you know, uh, declare early for the draft. Many people think Jonathan Allen will probably be have a good enough year to put himself in a position. If he wanted to declare early to go, he could do it. So we'll see there. Those are four really outstanding defensive linemen. Alabama needs defensive linemen in this class. They have Quentin Williams committed. They have Khalid Kareem committed out of uh, Michigan. Uh, they have, uh, I, I may have mentioned Quentin Williams. They have Raquan Davis out of uh, Mississippi who could play offense or defense, but Alabama definitely likes him on the defensive side of the ball. You know, and of course they have the Hulk, Kendall Jones committed already, the big massive interior guy from Colleen, Texas. But, you know, they need three or four really other good guys, uh, outstanding defensive linemen that they're recruiting. I think they're in good position with guys like, you know, Rashard Lawrence, the number one player out of the state of Louisiana from, from Monroe Neville. Um, you know, they're still in on Rashawn Gary, the number one player in the country, according to some people from Paramus Catholic up in New Jersey. Uh, Michael Michael Carter from over in Jackson, Georgia. Alabama's, you know, made a really strong move on him, and he had a great camp at Alabama earlier this summer. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is a guy that's a high-priority guy for Alabama. I think he's a fantastic-looking defensive end prospect out of uh, Macon, Knoxby County, Mississippi. So those are some of the guys that they're in on. You know, which three will they get or whatever. Uh, you know, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. You know, I, I'm not sure that they're out of it yet. Xavier Kelly's supposed to announce tomorrow sometime. Is that right, Drew? That is correct, Rodney. Uh, Xavier Kelly of 
from Wichita, Kansas, will announce tomorrow. I don't know what you're uh, as far as what you're hearing. What I have been hearing for the last uh, 24 hours or so is that Dabo Sweeney and Clemson seem to be the favorite, uh, but Alabama will continue to recruit him. They like him a lot. Well, and, and, and that's what everybody seems to be saying is that it will probably be Clemson tomorrow. Um, you know, I'm not sure that they're totally out of it with Janarius Robinson out of Panama City Bay High School. He's committed to Florida State, but I think Alabama still, you know, they, they were in it really strongly, and it kind of seemed to cool off there for a while early this summer and started picking back up a little bit. We'll see about that because he is an outstanding player. could play jack linebacker, could play defensive end. And, you know, Alabama's going to get, I think, three, at least three really good defensive linemen out of this remaining group. And, uh, you know, they should be really set, you know, for the future as they move forward. Then at linebacker, I think they can have another stellar class there. Jaquan Uly already committed who's a big physical inside linebacker. I think that they have a great shot, obviously, with Ben Davis and and Mac Wilson. Those two guys are thought to be very strong Alabama leans for obvious reasons, especially with Davis being the son of Wayne Davis, the former Alabama linebacker. And I think Dontavious Jackson, I don't know if that slid a little, slipped a little bit since he, you know, he had that really good visit in June and he was all hot for Alabama. He was supposed to come back a week or so ago, but he had a shoulder injury at the opening, and uh, that kind of prevented him from making the trip back to Tuscaloosa. Uh, You know, he is obviously going to be a very highly recruited player in the state of Texas. Um, So, you know, we'll see what happens with him. He's from Houston, uh, Aleph Elsick. And uh, so he's a a good-looking player. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. Rodney, get back to the offensive side of the ball just briefly. You did mention the the need for a second running back, and I, I really enjoyed watching the tape you had on PITV last night of, of Emmons. Uh, he looked to be like a, a faster version of Malik Miller, but you, you you correctly just stated, in my opinion, that there is going to be another running back in this class. And I wonder if you think Alabama has a shot or will continue to push hard for Elijah Holyfield, son of heavyweight champion Vander. Well, I think that's a really good question. I guess it depends on how everything, you know, goes. I know that Alabama certainly really got in on him and started recruiting him hard. I know that Auburn had been mentioned maybe at one time. People thought they were the favorite, and Georgia's been mentioned at the fa- as a favorite some, and he's got a lot of schools. And I don't know what Elijah's going to eventually do. Some people think it'll ultimately come down to Alabama and Georgia. You know, we'll see. I, I do believe that Alabama has always been extremely high on Devin White out of a out of Louisiana. I know that LSU has kind of made a really strong push on him, and a lot of people think now that LSU's the team to beat for, for Devin White. But I, I think right now with Devin White, it's a three-team race between LSU, Alabama, and Ole Miss. So, you know, I, I, it would not surprise me any of the three, you know, which direction he went, to be honest with you. I don't think he's made up his mind, as some people have said. I, you know, I at least as of earlier this week. So, you know, we'll see, but he's a six one and a half, two hundred and fifty three pounder, and that sounds like a big running back and it is. But when you're talking about a guy what he running at the opening a sub four five, you know, yeah. he's got he's got legit speed. Uh he looks like a running back when you watch him on tape, but also, I mean that guy he looks like a Reggie Raglan type linebacker too. I mean, he's a killer exactly. at linebacker. 
But, you know, he wants to be a running back, and I think Alabama has recruited him as a running back and targeted him very, very high as a running back. So, uh, And Alabama has a lot of needs. We've talked about the needs at running back. When you talk about Derrick Henry, feeling is he may go pro early. Kenyon Drake's definitely gone after this year. Uh, that really leaves you, when you look at break down the running back charts, you, you'll have Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, and Ronnie Clark, who is, you know, whether or not he stays at running back or becomes a more of a Jalston Fowler-type player, you know, that remains to be seen. But other than that, I mean, then you're going to have Emmons coming in. So uh, Alabama's a team that needs running backs. Uh, you know, they really – every time when you think you've got enough, you obviously uh, think you have plenty. Uh, then all of a sudden you look up and you don't really have enough. And, and what I mean by that is, remember everybody a few years ago when they signed Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, Alti Tenpenny, Tyron Jones. Now three of those four are gone. And uh, suddenly Alabama could use one of those guys. Uh, but uh, So I think really it's important that Alabama get two really good backs. I think it was big that they got B.J. Emmons. That's uh, certainly helped them out uh, in terms of the future. And uh... – and Rodney, obviously, uh, they'd like to add another defensive back or two. And one of my favorite guys is Nigel Warrior uh, from Peachtree City in Georgia, and uh, just outside of uh, the Atlanta area. And uh, and, and I really think, uh, and everybody knows who his father is. It's Dale Carter, the former Tennessee safety and a longtime NFL player. But uh, I know Alabama, uh, you know, has been working him hard. A lot of people thought. Uh, that it would be Georgia or Auburn and or ten or well, Georgia or Tennessee really, uh, where his father went. But it looks like Alabama's squarely in the thick of it. And I know he was very impressive at the opening, and of course Nigel Knott uh, from the state of Mississippi. Yeah, and let me let me say this. Let me go back to running back for a minute. I'll tell you another guy that I like. I like that Abdul Adams from Washington D.C. that uh, Alabama offered here recently. I don't know if you guys have yeah. watched him on tape. Go watch him on Dave. Yeah, not much yet, Rodney. I know he's committed to Michigan State. Right, he is committed to Michigan State. Alabama has, you know, just got in on him really hard. And I like him a lot. You know, I think he said that his options are still open. And, you know, I think he's rated a three-star if you look at some of these ratings, whatever that means. But I thought he looked a little better than that myself. So if you're just thinking about another running back possibility, you never know that name could pop up down the road as a guy. It's a serious, you know, possibility. If you watch him, he has legit speed. I mean, when you talk about a guy who can, you know, when you see him on tape, you know he's got that extra gear. He has an extra gear. And I really like him, and I think he's around 200, 205, so he's got pretty good, decent size. Um, as far as Nigel Knott and the uh, – who was the other player you mentioned? Nigel Warrior. Nigel Warrior. Yeah, a couple of Nigels. Well, you know, I mean, I, the word has been that Nigel Warrior was leaning to Alabama. Uh, you know, and whether, you know, what happens, I mean, who knows? That remains to be seen. But that had been the word, you know, two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. And, uh, you know, I think he's good friends with that uh, 2017 superb player, D'Angelo Gibbs. And I think Correct. they want to go. They want to eventually end up at the same school, but um, you know, I've, I've heard that uh, I've heard that Alabama's in a pretty good position, or had been with Nigel Warrior. Now I don't know. You know, these things change so much and so quickly. 
till I think it's just something you just kind of have to watch. Uh, as far as Nigel Knott's concerned, there you go. That's another player that, you know, I think you need to be careful sometimes when you read what these kids say publicly. Uh, I, I do think that he did not mention Alabama in an interview at the opening, but Alabama's definitely been in the mix. I think he was, what, back over here a few days ago, or what, last week sometime. So I, yeah. I think Alabama's def, definitely in the mix with Nigel Knott. I think I think Bo Davis has a really good relationship with Nigel Knott and his father. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But he's, what, one of the top corners, you know, in the country. And uh, Alabama Ole Miss, his dad did play at Ole Miss, but they, he's not pushing Ole Miss. Uh, that's the word anyway. And, and Oregon's been in there. FSU's been in there. There was one point they thought he was going to commit to FSU, but – I don't think FSU's in there as strongly as some people had, had suggested at that time. Well, I mean, I wanted to ask you uh, if anything has changed, because we don't hear as much about him as we did a couple of weeks ago. If anything has changed with, with Marlon Davidson, I know he recently visited Auburn, and I know there's been some rumors that he might consider transferring back to Carver, which would be a big feather in Alabama's cap. But, you know, and I know his brother's on the staff at Auburn. I, I, I get all that. But with his friendship with with Mac Wilson and with Ben Davis, would you say that Alabama remains in the thick of it for Marlon Davidson? I think Alabama remains in the picture. I think you have to be realistic and say that Auburn would be definitely in the driver's seat, if you want to put it that way. I mean, it would be hard to imagine right now that, you know, that uh, Auburn's not the favorite. Um do I think Marlon Davidson likes Alabama a lot? Yeah. Do I think if Kenneth Carter weren't in the picture from the standpoint of being a former Auburn player and employed by Auburn, uh, would Alabama's chances for Marlon be much higher? I, I think he'd probably end up at Alabama. I think he that's how much Marlon likes Alabama. I think Kirby Smart's done a great job with him. I think his relationship with Mac Wilson, as you mentioned, is certainly very important. Um, you know, we'll see. I think all those things in the end could – eventually sway him to Alabama. But, you know, right now, I mean, I would, you know, I would say this one, this one's going to have to really play out over a period of time, but I would project right now Auburn as most anyone else would. No question about that, Rodney. It's going to be a tough pull to get Marlon Davidson away from Auburn. I know they're going to continue to recruit him, but they're in on so many good defensive linemen. They're going to, I think they'll add three more, and they're going to add three more good ones. There's no doubt about it. But we know, we know you got to get out of here. We know you also have another appearance tonight. Uh, as, you're, as always, you're busy. And we wanted to thank you for joining us and giving us about 30 minutes tonight. Uh, on uh, And we always enjoy uh, the conversation on uh, when you come on with us on BAMS Radio, Rodney. And also, safe journey to Panama City. And I know you'll always be near the phone, but I hope you enjoy a little bit of downtime before fall camp. Hey, Drew, I appreciate you and Kerry having me on, and you guys take care. Thank you very much, Rodney. Thank you. Thank you, Rodney. That's Rodney Orr, everyone. We hope you enjoyed his uh, recruiting take there. He's always on the pulse of Crimson Tide recruiting, and Kerry, um, I, you know, it's I wanted Rashawn Gary to, to be a part of the Tide class. I think he's the best player in America. But when you hire four former uh, coaches or uh, support staffers at – at Paramus uh, High School in New Jersey to be on the staff at Michigan. That kind of stacks the deck against a lot of people. And um, as long as he's not in the SEC, uh, Alabama would only have to face him in the college football playoffs. So 
I guess there's that. There is. And here's something else that there is. Just just moments ago, Elijah Holyfield cut his list from 10 down to 5, and Alabama made the cut. Nice. Uh, running back from Atlanta, son of a former heavyweight boxing champ. Uh, if you like me, you want to see Evander Holyfield and Deontay Wilder standing side-by-side side on the Alabama football sidelines, call me crazy. But his five finalists for uh, Evander's son, Elijah, out of Atlanta are Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Uh, no real – well, I, I'm a little surprised to see South Carolina, but the other four – I think I could have probably called on my own. It's important to to uh, remember that a few years back, uh, Evander Jr. was a walk-on wide receiver that played a couple of years at Auburn. I think he got in a game or two along the way. So some people thought that would help Auburn, but it really has. And I think this is an Alabama-Georgia-Tennessee battle when it comes down to it. And I realize uh, that he is not necessarily the top guy on the board remains to Alabama, but just think he's a dynamic player, and uh, really going to be fun to watch how that shakes out. Yeah, it, it really is, Kerry. And I mean, uh, you know, uh, Alabama, you know. Uh, oh, and and of course, Kerry. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. I know you're following uh, the schools, but he uh, announced his commitment day today. Uh, just now, just now. Yes, he did. I didn't see that pair. Uh, he will be committing on September the fourth at Woodward Academy. Well, that's not that far away. Yes. We'll be in August before we know it. And Woodward Academy, uh, they put out some ball players along through the years, and uh, I think that's where all of the largest uh, Avengers kids went. So uh, interesting to hear that. Very, very interesting. And Drew, you know, uh, changing the subject just for a moment, uh, I got an invite to a, a brunch next week in Tuscaloosa with Avery Johnson that I was unable to uh, confirm because I've got to continue to work a full-time job. But it was yes. pretty cool in that uh, when Richard Hendricks and Robert Ory visited the campus last week at Avery's uh, invitation, that some video emerged from practice, and it was video of uh, three freshmen that you and I saw play Montgomery and All-Star game. Yeah, it was. It was B.A., Brandon Austin, uh, stroking a three. We had a follow-up dunk uh, from uh, Dante Hall, and then, of course, we had on Ingram doing his thing from the point guard position. The only one not seen, and I, I still believe if he's not enrolled, he will be soon. I haven't heard of any snags or people panicking, but is Kobe Eubanks. Did not see him in the video. But, have, again, no buzz about anything negative there. Um, he, now he may still be trying to get cleared up to, to get to enroll because he didn't have to enroll in July. He told me he was. But, again, you know, I don't think there's any reason to panic there. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed watching Robert and Richard at the practice. They look like, they, you know, what I enjoyed. And, of course, it's made for TV and stuff like that. But Avery Johnson was really, you know, welcoming them, welcoming them back. And I do know it's legit, though, Kerry, because we'll have him the interview tomorrow on Talking Ball on 97.7 The Zone. But I talked to Richard Hendricks at Media Days. Uh, he's, uh, in, he's a free agent. He's been in Russia the last three or four years. and spent seven years overseas. He's still chasing the NBA dream. It realizes – you know, the rest of his career is likely to be overseas, but has played for some very fine old people uh, over there in Spain and in Israel. Uh, in Israel, he played two years for David Blatt and spoke very highly of him. But uh, we're going to have that conversation on Talking Ball tomorrow. was able to reconnect with Richard, and he had just met Avery Johnson the day before. and he's, So he's been down there multiple days uh, watching practice, and he's very, very excited for Crimson Tide basketball. And, Watching Robert Ory, I can't help but wish that he were going to be the last hire for uh, Avery. 
Right. And, you know, the thing about Richard, I'm, I'm glad you just brought that up about Richard that wants to continue his career because I kind of assumed that when he showed up at media days and was getting escorted around by one of the SEC girls, I thought maybe he was being groomed to be an analyst for the SEC Network in basketball at some point. Well, you know, I asked him about that because my cousin Janet Latham is the athletic director at Athens and taught Richard and has known Richard since he was growing up. And she had told me she had thought she had – he, that Richard might be thinking about, you know, retiring and moving on and, and moving into the media because Richard told me when he could, and during our conversation that when he, uh, he he would like to stay in the game and probably transition to the media uh, when he uh, when he uh, retires. But he said right now he feels really good and he doesn't think he's anywhere close to to, call, to hanging it up. So he's looking forward to continuing to play and he's just using some of his downtime right now before he makes his next move to to reconnect with the program. And it's great to see Kerry because. As he told me, you know, it's 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 time for Alabama basketball to return to what it was, and he had a chance during his uh, recruiting process to go anywhere in the country, including North Carolina, when they were winning national championships, and chose to stay in state at Alabama. And and uh, Avery Johnson needs to start closing off the borders again. And another great thing I heard this week, Kerry, you know, you haven't heard anything concrete. We're going to try to get Garrett Tucker on the show soon of G Tucker Hoops because the fifth month for him is very hectic because July is the big evaluation period. But there's starting to be some buzz that Alabama might even be the leader for five-star small forward from Texas, Terrence Ferguson. And if that's the case, you are seeing live and in person how good a recruiting uh, recruiter Avery Johnson is and his staff, because he was thought at one time to be a lot for Kansas and some, uh, you know, had a lot of other big-time schools chasing him. If Avery Johnson can sign Terrence Ferguson in November, that would be a, a huge boon for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, and what I thought was interesting about that, and, and I know a couple of uh, Einstein's rebuked me on Twitter when I when I posted it, but the information that Alabama may have taken the lead for Terrence Ferguson didn't come from Alabama writer, didn't come from a Kansas writer, it came from a Duke writer uh, who who does have a dog in the fight because Duke was in on him too. But for a guy that covers Duke recruiting to say that he, who has no dog in the fight really, other than Duke has heard that Alabama has taken the lead for Terrence. To me, that was that was pretty big. And I think the guy was a, a fairly respectable writer. Yes, I mean, no doubt about that. And, of course, there's a long way to go in November. But, oh, yeah, I know. But Avery Johnson was has been watching him closely this summer, and it's obvious that Alabama is in the mix. And, obviously, uh, the young man out of Nashville, uh, the, uh, the, that, the, uh, the small forward from – who's a top 30 player nationally, he named Alabama in his top six just recently as well. Was that Mustafa Heron? No, Mustafa Heron named Did we just lose Drew? No, I got uh, you guys. I'm sorry. Okay. I was trying to look something up. I'm, I apologize. I was trying to look it up, but – uh, Mustafa Heron is a, is a six-five-two guard from the New York area. He named Alabama in his top seven. Uh, but this young man is from the Nashville area, and uh, I'm trying to. Th- I think is it Bradley Bowman? I'm trying to get his last name here. Well, speaking of Bradley, the guy that I really want to see if they can get is, is Tony Bradley, the big man from Florida. Well, yeah, they they're definitely in the market for some bigs. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and. Uh, the uh, poster on TI and a couple of other sites, uh, Shafrosi posted a gigantic list of people that Avery and his staff had looked at in the last week or so, 
Right. There, there were some bigs on there to my uh, relief. There were some six eight, six nine guys on there. And uh, I was happy to see that because every time you read a report about so-and-so involved in Alabama, so-and-so, it's always somebody that's like 6'6 six, six or less and they play the wing or, or the two. So I'm ready to start hearing more about That's one thing, when we, if we ever get Garrett Tucker on here, I'm going to tell him, look, tell us what big men Alabama is in on for the November period. I, I'm aware of Tony Bradley, but apparently based on that post, there's a – Four or five more, they could, you know, have a shot at it at least, maybe getting to visit. Yeah, there's no question. They, they've got to, um, you know, get in on some bigs. There's no doubt about it. Um, let's, let's, uh, I, I was trying to check and see if I could figure out um, who the young man was. Well, you check I, on that, and I'll ask Thomas something. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Say, uh, I, was, I was trying to take, see. Take, take a minute to check on that. Thomas, uh, you posted something interesting in the back in the back chat. It appears that uh, Clayton Kershaw has got a gym going. He is perfect through six innings, and I'm keeping an eye. I've got the GameCast going on my computer, and, and I don't have an update right this second because it kicked me to an advertisement. But you know, if Kershaw's rolling, that's 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 a pretty good um, indicator. That they're going to the, the bottom of the seventh. I just got to kick back and Kershaw. He is uh, nine outs from a perfect game. Okay. And the reason the Braves were able to take two out of three from the Dodgers is because the Braves did not face Kershaw or Brinkman. So uh, that's why they got that two out of three. So, well, and, I, and, guys, I'm sorry. I just figured out the name. It's Braxton Blackwell. Oh, okay. Uh, I've seen that name, 6'6". Six, six. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure where he was from. But, but he's um, from Nashville. And, and, then, uh, and then I just looked that up on Terrence Ferguson. Kerry, you were correct. It was Adam Rowe of Devils Illustrated of the Rivals Network for Duke who reported that. Okay. Well, there's a there's a connection between Scott Pospickle and uh, Kenny Ferguson, one of his AAU coaches. Speaking of Adam, did y'all know that uh, Adam and Eve were the first people ever to uh, accept Apple's terms and conditions without reading them? <laughs> no, I did not know that, Kerry. Okay, he's passing that on. As Medea would say, you need to read your biblical. Everything in between Palms and First Corinthians. Well, we'll but, see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so, uh, yeah, so basketball recruiting is going to be really interesting because Avery and uh, Antoine and, and Scott and, and Coach Bob Simon, they have been road warriors recently. They've been yeah. to Vegas, yeah. they've been uh, to Georgia, they, they've been all over the place watching prospects. And, and, and you know, you read – well, you know, uh, Cal was there, and so-and-so was there. Cal, the coach, not the school. Yes. And Avery Johnson and his staff were there. And I'm like, I mean, just music to my ears, man. I, I love it. Because they are they are working their butts off. And Avery still found time to do the right thing for his program by speaking to the state's high school coaches to a packed house in Montgomery uh, at a convention yesterday. So the North I, don't South know, I, don't, I don't know when the uh, – well, he didn't stay for the game. Right. Because there <laughs> No offense, but there wasn't no D1 prospects in the men's game. How do you, how yeah, do you Josh play? Langford was not going to play in that Josh game. didn't play, and, and Kevin Morris uh, did pretty pretty well. I heard he had 13 and 9 boards, but it was against mediocre competition. And Kevin Morris is a mid-major type player. He's a powerful guy to dope him. Uh, I don't think Alabama or anybody in the SEC currently plans to offer Kevin Morris. So uh, I had talked to Barry Sanderson, Wimp's younger son that used to be an assistant in South Carolina. 
and he had had a chance to see Kevin play a couple of times, and he also did not think he was an SEC guy. And when Avery chose not to even stay for the game, uh, that kind of tells you. But Drew, um, I don't know how serious it was, and but and she's a rising senior, so even if it was serious, uh, there's chance for recovery. But a young lady that you and I saw. Uh, out of Mobile that looks like a four- or five-star player. It was kind of a steal for Christy Curry because everybody assumed she was going out of state. I think the first name is Sierra. Sierra Johnson of Boyne High School. Well, she got injured in the girls' game last night. Yeah, she and I, did. I'm not sure how bad it was or what the recovery is. Could, do you have any intel on that? The, the preliminary diagnosis that she was put on the stretcher was a, was a bruised tibia, so it did not look like it was a break. So that would be – a tremendous. So you know, that would be a fight for Christy Curry. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, it would be a tremendous amount of good luck there. Yeah, because let, let's be honest, uh, the, the North Blue, uh, or excuse me, they made a great comeback and won. If Sierra Johnson had not gotten hurt and they were up by twelve points, if, if she plays that whole game, the South wins. Well, I agree. Okay, so, so it, it, she's the best player. She was playing in the game. She got injured, but. It looks like, I, you know, I'll try to see if, the, if there's been any more uh, a final diagnosis, but it looked like it wasn't going to be uh, one of these things where she misses her senior season or something to that effect. That's great. And, you know, kudos to Christy Curry for getting this girl to stay in state and commit to Alabama. You and I had a chance to meet Coach Curry at the state tournament. She was very nice and very appreciative. Very nice, yes. Provided and uh, just a classy lady and, very, very hard worker on the recruiting trail. And uh, to see her get Sierra Johnson to stay in state, and I believe it, it, she got a blunt. Yes, no okay. blunt. Really, really great coup by Coach Curry, and shout out to her and her program as well. We, we don't want to forget them. So good job, Christy Curry. And there, there's really been a, a lot of good news outside the major sports or the revenue sports. That, that's come out in recent days and recent weeks, and we, we probably should address some of it. If, I, if you don't mind, let me spend about a minute here talking about some, some things that are going on with the other sports in Alabama. Uh, one of them is uh, Alabama's national champion, gymnast Kim Jacob, was named the SEC's NCAA Woman of the Year nominee. Uh, she is, uh, has a good chance to win that award. So shout out to Kim Jacobs, uh, four years of classy and plus performances from her. Uh, also, there was word, uh, let's see, Burdick, another, uh, Sierra Burdick, a Tennessee basketball player, was nominated for the same award, that uh, she'll be competing with Kim Jacobs. And uh, so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things are going on with other sports. Uh, an interesting transfer, and Drew, I'm going to let you touch on this, because I'm sure Freddie Kirby knows about this young lady. Uh, a transfer shortstop, uh, I want to say Savannah Booker, is that right? Uh, from the Madison County area, it's, going to, it's coming from southeastern Louisiana to Alabama and will be immediately eligible to play this coming season, from what I understand. So that might answer the question as to who the shortstop is going to be. Are you familiar with her at all? Yes, I am familiar with her. Uh, I was sent the press release by a good friend of mine, Wes Seaton, whose daughter is signed with Freddie Kirby. But yeah, the, his uh, oldest daughter, uh, uh, Abby, uh, is a will be a sophomore at Bob Jones, and the youngest daughter, Haley, uh, or, or Haley, uh, will be will be a, a future Patriot. But uh, he, her name is Sydney Booker. Um, she she played at Bob Jones. She hit 400 in her career, and last year at Southeastern Louisiana. And actually, I'm going to give West Seton credit. 
he told me about this uh, probably two weeks ago that it was in the works, but it wasn't official. They were talking to Coach Murphy. Uh, her 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 father played for Coach Bryant as far as football goes, so she would be on a Bryant scholarship. But uh, she started all 52 games at Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, she set single season school records in RBIs with 49, triples with eight. She had 362. She had eight jacks, and uh, she was second team all conference. Or excuse me, she was second team all Louisiana, third team all Southland conference. But again, uh, she hit 489 as a senior at Bob Jones and. She's a very talented player. She could play short, but she could play some different positions as well, maybe third. But she's a. But the the big thing is, like you said, Kerry, I would have thought she would have had to sit out. But Molly Fickner didn't either. I, the, the the softball rules must be like they used to used to have been in baseball, where they a are. lot of guys would transfer and not have to sit out because uh, Fickner did not have to sit out, and neither is uh, and, and this young lady, uh, Sydney Booker, is not going to have to either. I'll tell you a funny story about her daddy. Um, and we'll get Big C to talk about him some, too, when he comes on in about 20 minutes. But I got all excited because I'm a big fan of the walk-on program, and it always gives me a little bit of pleasure when a walk-on gets in the game and does something. Her dad was a walk-on wide receiver in the days when only one wide receiver played at a time because Alabama was running the wishbone. So I'm at a game, I guess it was my freshman year, and I see this guy run out on the field, and he's wearing, you know, I thought it was David Booker, and he caught a pass, and I'm like, all oh, fired up. And damn if it didn't turn out to be Rye Ogilvy, Major's little brother. So actually it would have been about my sophomore or junior year. It, but it turned out that they had they had the same number, and Rye was the one that got in there and caught the pass and not David Booker. So for a few minutes I was all fired up that David had caught one, but it, it didn't turn out to be the case. But he was a, a walk-on wide receiver that stuck it out at a time when only one played at a time. And I'm not sure how much he actually got into games, uh, but he certainly was a, a, a member of the team and did play for Coach Bryant, and his daughter does qualify for a Bryant scholarship. I'll ask Big C to update that part of the story because I know he probably still keeps up with David. But I was yeah. a big David Booker fan because I, I was a receiver in high school when David was a walk on the street at Alabama. I was like, yeah, come on. Dang, it didn't turn out to be Major's little brother, Rye Ogilvy, that caught that ball wearing the same number David normally wore. But whatever, we'll uh, revisit that with, with Big C when he comes on in a little while. I'm sure he remembers all about David. Uh, yeah. So that's yeah. pretty cool, man. It really is, and and this young lady sounds like she's going to be an impact player. And Molly Fickner was a really good player for two years, and is oh, now uh, on the uh, coaching staff at Alabama as a volunteer coach this past season. Right. If it wasn't for her uh, pearls of wisdom, Marissa Runyon might not have hit the grand slam to get Alabama back to Oklahoma City. Very true, very true. Molly made the call on, on the not putting the take on, so that was good. You're exactly right. And, you know, one thing I was wondering about Sydney, um, and I'm sorry I called her Savannah earlier. I've been watching all the reruns of Chris Lee Knows Best about that family in Atlanta, but it's anyway. Uh, they have a daughter named Savannah. But, but with the question about Sydney, is she also a base fielder? Uh, I think she runs pretty well. Now, the funny thing you say about that, her younger sister uh, is now at James Clemens, and I saw her play at the regionals this past year, Carrie, and she's a slapper. And she has tremendous speed. She hit nearly, from what I understand, nearly 500 for James Clemens. I don't know if Alabama's recruiting her yet. I want to say she was a 10th grader this past fall, but she's a tremendous hitter as well. She doesn't have a lot. She doesn't have the power that Sydney has, but she's a slapper. But she can run like the wind, and uh, she's somebody to watch in the future. Even though, as we've seen with recruiting in softball, it ends almost uh, before it. 
they, they, these girls are committing when they're freshmen and sophomores, and they're, they're ending their process early. And they don't flip. Someone that's very, very uh, – yes, right, correct, very rarely. And so the, she's very, very fast, and uh, she's at James Clemens, but I, I, I'm not sure that Alabama's recruiting her, but it'll be interesting because the reason I remember her is because – and then I was told that was her sister at a later time, but uh, when she led off the game against Buckhorn, who I'm good friends with the pitching coach, Taylor McCrary, uh, they they played in on her and she slapped it on and they still couldn't throw her out. So I mean she's uh, she's just very very fast. You beat it out, man. That's one thing about softball. Them fifty foot bases, Drew. I mean, if you're fast enough, if you slap it right, you're gonna have a high batting average. And, and good good for her on that. You know something else about kids being related to uh, other, you know, not necessarily their parents, but siblings. I noticed that on the roster of the North South baseball team down in Montgomery this week was a uh, rising senior. And uh, Mortimer Jordan, center fielder, and I think you know where I'm going with this, Walker McClinney. <laughs> and Walker is going to be a senior next year. And yes. I, understand that, I understand there's another one two years behind him that's also an excellent outfielder. And I'm wondering if these guys, at least Walker, the senior-to-be, are, are getting any kind of love at all from Mitch Gaspar. I'd just be curious to know that. I, yeah, I, I haven't heard. I've heard she had two brothers that played. But I have not heard that they're being recruited. And I will say this about – you asked about Sydney Booker uh, carrying her speed. Okay. Well, she's got to be a pretty good base deal if she had eight triples. Yeah, I agree. But I just always look for that stat, and I didn't see that listed in what she did last year at Southwest. But it's no biggie. I'm assuming that somebody that's got eight triples can run the bases great. And if anybody knows uh, about Alabama baseball recruiting that's listening live, that can call in and let us know. If Walker McClinney is on Mitch Gaspard's big board, I, I don't know if he is or isn't, but call the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. We we need more callers than just Big C every week. I mean, Bubba, if you're out there listening, give us a call. Uh, anybody, you know, somebody, uh, give us a call besides just Big C. And the Big Head Barbecue Hotline, as always, 714-510-3707. That's 714-510-3707. Y'all give us a holler and y'all check out BigHeadsBBQ.net for that awesome catering menu, which is only a scant weeks away from being re-unveiled at the BAMS Radio Tent at the UA Home Opener second week of September. Can't and I got some more news from softball, Kerry. Go ahead. Just checking up on some stuff. We've been talking about the north-south. Uh, the MVP of the doubleheader was Alabama commitment uh, at Lagoon. It was, of course, played at Lagoon Park. But Elmore County, she's been a long time. I think she's been, she's been committed for a couple years. But Alyssa Brown of Elmore County, she was the South's most valuable player. Uh, she hit a game-ending two-run double and was three for three with two runs scored in the opener, when they, which they won four to three. And uh, she had yet to bat when Lightning uh, delayed the final, the second game, uh, with the North ahead 1-0 in the fifth. So, but she was very, she performed very, very well. And I, I got to tell you this story, Drew. I haven't shared this with you yet, and, I, and I'm not even remembering all the names correctly. But I've, I've got a, one of them is uh, the, the well-known poster on PI Stephen three two three. But another friend of mine, uh, by the Jim, I won't give his last name. Those two guys have driven to Montgomery and Atlanta to watch summer league softball featuring Alabama commitments. Now that's into it right there. Yeah, and I'm talking about uh, Maddie, uh, the pitcher from Winfield. I forget the last name. Maddie Moore. Maddie Moore, and then the catcher that's going to be a freshman from Mississippi that's supposed to be so good. Um, yeah. They're teammates in the summer, and uh, these two guys have gone and checked them out and, and met the young ladies 
the young lady saw them with their Alabama T-shirts or polos and came up and struck up a conversation, just you know, being uh, gracious and you know, giving roll tides and things like that. So, I tell you what, the uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb right here and make the statement that before he retires, Patrick Murphy will win another College World Series. Oh, he may win. I hate to put the pressure on him because it took a long time to win one. He could win more than that. I mean, he's had he's been so close. I mean, they're going to be in the mix. I do think he'll win more than uh, well, at least one more. But and they're I'm hard saying at a win. minimum, at a minimum, yeah. yeah. And I'm saying at, at a minimum, Kenyon Drake's going to run one kickoff back for a touchdown this fall. At a minimum. Yeah, and here's. I don't think that's a stretch. I'm just going out there and playing it. You know, I agree. But here's a, and here's another big time softball uh, get for Patrick Murphy, Max Preps, uh, who everybody's heard of. Yep. They named their national sophomore of the year in softball, and it's a, a young lady committed to Alabama from the state of Alabama. Uh, she's from a small school. Uh, she led Summerton Christian to the state championship uh, this past uh, year, um, and her name is Mary Beth, or excuse me, Kendall Beth Sides, and she led the nation, Carrie, in runs, in, in, uh, in runs uh, or excuse me, in hits. She led the nation in hits, 116 hits as a sophomore, uh, run scored 97, and check this out. You wanted to talk about a base deal, or she stole 111 bases. I can't wait. And batted. And she's only. She's only. She's going to be a junior or sophomore this fall. She will be a. She will be a, a junior this fall. Okay. So she batted 612. Wow. That's exciting. She drove in 48 runs, and she also uh, threw 114 innings on the mound and posted a 20 and five record. And Summerton Christian won their final 17 games. They won 47 games, the best year in school history. And, uh, and again, she, she set the all-time record with 97 runs scored. And the, new national, and, the, and the national record had been 83. And then her 111 stolen bases were third best all-time. 117 is the record. Uh, and the career uh, mark for runs scored in the career is 278. And for uh, the, the stolen bases uh, is, is 320. And uh, she's only played two years. She has two years left, and she already has scored 189 runs and already stolen 287 bases. So I'd she's say, a machine. I'd say she's pretty fast because, you know, some of them catchers have got to be pretty good. She's playing it. Probably not a lot of them, but some of them got in pretty good. That's that's awesome. And she's probably a great slapper, too. Sounds like she uses her speed. So, hey, that's cool, man. Is she, uh, does it say what position she is? Uh, it does not say what position okay. she played on the field. But if you're a 2A school carry, I would think we'd probably be shortstop. Yeah, you're probably right about that. That's a great point. Well, that's the kind of intel you get on Alabama softball that I promise you you don't get on any other podcast but Bands Radio. And I hope that our number one softball fan listener, Jocelyn, from Up in the Shows, heard all that great intel that Drew just provided on softball. But uh, we still have got almost another hour of Up in the Show, and I think this is probably a good time to take a break. So uh, we will do that, and then we'll come back and hear from Big C and also hear a special interview that Drew did uh, earlier with the coach of Alabama's latest commitment. But for now, we're going to take a break and come back in just a few minutes. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Now. Go with me now. I'm gonna take you down. I'm gonna 
afraid to lose control and caught up in this world. I've wasted time, I've wasted breath. I think I've thought myself to death. I was born without this fear. Now only this seems clear. I need to move, I need to fight, I need to lose myself tonight. back to Bams Radio. Our number two is upon us, and uh, there is another person that's been an overachiever and had a great career in a, in a lesser than talked about a lot sport, and she has brought yet another honor to the University of Alabama. Uh, by the way, I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, joined as always, from BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 977 Zone and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, but Alabama's Quanisha Burks is set to compete in the long jump at the 2015 Pan Am Games, native of Hartzell, and begins competition for Team USA on Thursday. Uh, she, again, is a long jumper. It'll be the second consecutive summer for her to take part in international competition. She finished second in the long jump at the 2014 U.S. Junior National Championships. Uh, just, just a great honor for her, and she is the 2015 NCAA Outdoor Long Jump Champion as an individual for the University of Alabama. So shout out to the pride of hearts of Alabama, Quanisha Burks, Drew. All right, guys. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that's great. I mean, she's been able to become compete for her country and uh, go from a walk-on to being uh, that good of uh, a contributor to the track program. And uh, it's always special when you get to put the red, white, and blue on your uh, on your back. And, of course, continue to help the Alabama track programs 
uh, under Dan Waters continue to improve and continue to become more high profile. And it's amazing, Kerry, you know, the millions they've put uh, into the programs, uh, into that program, finally uh, refurbishing the facilities, hiring a, a world-class coach, and then miraculously you have a pretty good program. Yeah, and they they showed some pride and went out there and did it, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It's, it's you know it, it is a football school, no doubt, but things have to take place in other sports to continue the overall excellence of the athletic program. And I'm, I'm glad to hear about it. Very happy for Quinesha, and I, I did not personally realize she started off as a walk-on, but to, that's almost like a movie then to go from that to the national champion to international competitor. That's just that's outstanding. Well, but again, I may be mistaken on that. I'm sorry to interrupt. I may be mistaken on that, but I thought that's what I heard, but it may not be the case. If that is, I apologize to her. But regardless of whether she was a walk-on or not, when you represent your country, big time. Awesome. It is. It's great. It's a great story, and uh, very glad to hear it. And, and you know, shout-out to all these people who get these different awards for the university, even in the off-season. Speaking of off-season, Drew, I uh, wanted to see if you've heard anything new, because I really haven't about the seven-on-seven uh, seven stuff. Uh, the last I heard, there was beginning to be some evidence of a light coming on from a leadership uh, and a passing perspective from Jake Coker. But I was wondering if anything else has resurfaced in the last two or three weeks. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, I, and let me preface this by saying I hope that they take their time with the young guy and uh, because, I mean, he, at this rate, he's he's like Superman. But both Scarborough is doing everything in seven on seven. He's running, cutting, catching, you know, doing everything any any other regular athlete does. He has just not uh, been, uh, of course, uh, he has not had any contact. But he's uh, he's he's fully participating in seven on seven. And I was told yesterday, if the trek continues, he will be back September the nineteenth against Ole Miss. Well. That is some great news that he would only miss a couple of games. Uh, two games he would only miss? That's yeah. nothing short of unbelievable. That, that's, yeah. Well, Eddie Jackson had a similar injury, and he played in, in the Oakland, but uh, at the same time, it's not common. Well, and, and, what, and what I was told is that Bo Scarborough, this is not an Eddie Jackson-type situation, but Bo Scarborough is kind of a new breed of athlete. He just heals tremendously quickly. I do, again, hope they continue to be cautious with him. But that's just what I was told yesterday. And then another very, very encouraging thing I was told is, or two, actually two, it's a two-parter, is that Tony Brown, of course, has had a very good offseason and says he can cover any cat on the team, but there's only one he wants nothing to do with, and it's Kenyon Drake, who is nearly 225 pounds now and has clocked, clocked four three eight forties consistently. I love it. I love it. I love it. And uh, shout out to uh, Deandra Sanders, who came on Twitter and shot down my rumor about Tony dating her. I guess it's not true. Or it's true and they don't want it to be out. One of the two. Well, yeah. And that, and then, but the last part of it, too, is is that one of the most impressive uh, newcomers in 7-on-7 seven seven carry, I was, I was told it's like Ronnie Harrison in the spring has been Minka Fitzpatrick. That's good, and that, that reiterates what Reggie Ragland told us at media days. He was impressed with Minka. He was impressed with Kendall Sheffield. He was impressed with Calvin Ridley, Damian Harris, and then we heard also from Ryan Kelly that he was impressed with Brandon Kennedy. So the true freshmen who were not going through spring, some of them are really stepping up 
and uh, Reggie did mention Ronnie Harrison as well. But I want to go ahead and bring on our weekly caller from the tiny hamlet of Greenville, Alabama. You know him, you love him, and you could probably live without him. Colin Big C. McGuire, what's going on, man? Got enough. How y'all boys tonight? Doing good, Big C. How you doing, brother? All right, Z. I mean, Drew, what's going on? <laughs> not much, not much, man. I, got, I guess we... Yeah, it's all good, Big C. We know you're you're our resident Alabama football historian, and we wanted you to clear something up for us because we know you'll remember him. But give us a little bit of background on uh, a, a guy whose daughter is going to be a, a member of the softball team at Alabama next year. But oh, what yeah, do you remember that. about David Booker? I remember him real well because he was on the football team when I was there. He's from Huntsville. He went yes. to Butler High School. He was a walk-on. He wore number 86. He was on two national championship teams. And I see him on occasions in the A-club room during the season. I can't remember the last time I saw him. But he lives in Huntsville, where you're from. Uh, he's back up that way. Now, what he does for a living, I can't tell you. Uh, I don't know. But he's a good fellow, and I like David, and he got to play some up there. And I'll give him credit. He hung in there, uh, walked on, and didn't quit. And uh, probably since, uh, you know, over the years, you know, having been affiliated with the football program and also having that on your resume didn't bad be able to try to get a job in the state of Alabama. But, uh. Yeah, I read about it. Well, daughter. there was a story that I there was a story that I told Big C because I, I was a big fan of David's because I was a big fan of the walk-ons and I, I remember I guess it would have been '78, your first year as a manager. Uh, uh, well, your first year as a manager was '78, and I was at a game and a guy got in the game and caught a pass where in '86 and I got all fired up thinking it was David Booker, and it was Ry Ogilvie. Oh, they changed his number, then that was in '79. And, uh, I don't, but I remember David wearing number '86. Maybe they might have changed his number. Well, they they didn't have all the strict rules about duplicate numbers back then. I'm sorry, say that again. They didn't have the stricter rules about duplicate numbers back then. Yeah, uh, but I will say this. Um, oh, I was on, what I was going to say. Do you remember? Before the '78 season, you know they had the, uh, you know the preseason picks and stuff. And they had stories in Sports Illustrated. You remember they did a story on Joe Jones? Yeah, him, you he know, was the first high school with red shirt. Yeah, that's right. He got red shirted by his high school in Thomaston, Georgia. He got held back a year in junior high because they wanted him to be an older senior. But yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, all right. If you remember in the story, they were talking about. David Booker almost got thrown in a ball game, and they were red shirting him one year. Uh, and he said, "You can't put me in there because I'm I'm a red shirt." I remember that. That was in that story. But uh, he might have got red shirted that year in '87. Said it had to have been '77 when they red shirted him. Uh, but as far as I know, he finished his eligibility up there. Or he might have for good went go to his last year. You know how that goes. I mean. Got your schooling in, and you're not going to look like you're going to play. But I know he was there in 78 79. I do know that for sure. But you said he, he did get him some games? Not that. Well, he might have the next year, but like that year, 
in 77, they were beating somebody so bad they were about to put him in the game. He told them they couldn't do that because he was being held out. So, I mean, I, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming that was the Louisville game in 77 when they beat them so bad. I mean, for homecoming, if you remember, they beat them like 55 to 6. What year was it that we beat Bandy so bad in Nashville? Was that 78 or 79? Yeah, 79 beat them 66 to 3. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I can tell you one of the reasons why they were so bad. Their facilities was te- was terrible. The visitors' dressing room, you did not have stalls. And you remember, like when you were in, in elementary school, you had those cloak, you know, those little hooks, were like in your cloak room where you could hang, hang your jacket on. That was basically what they had. They didn't yeah. have stalls. It was pitiful, and, they, and the field was horrible. And, you, and I'll give you an interesting piece of trivia. One of the assistant coaches for Vanderbilt that year was a fellow by the name of Philip Fulmer. I didn't know that. Huh. Well, yeah, we've asked you a bunch of questions. Have, uh, have you got any questions for us this week? Yeah, what about this B.J. Emmons they got out of Morganton, North Carolina? He's a he's a big time back, Big C. Uh, we're gonna have a uh, conversation I had with his head coach Brandon Allen. We're gonna replay that here in a few minutes on uh, the the Bams Radio podcast. But uh, BJ, he doesn't like to talk a whole lot, but he he lets his play do the talking. And he's you know five, he's anywhere from five foot ten and a half to nearly six feet tall. Uh, his coach says right now he weighs about two thirty two, and he's been clocking under four or five in the forty. And uh, he was committed to Georgia for for a good for a good while, few months. But he started having doubts and decommitted, and then got it down really to Alabama or Tennessee. And Tennessee thought they had the inside track for a while, but once he visited Alabama a couple of times, he he really hit it off with Burton Burns and Alabama's coaches. And I'll tell you another underrated aspect, and this is why I've had people ask me: Is he going to flip back, or you know, is he going to change his mind? His lead recruiter is Tosh Lupoy. And let, let me just tell you something. There's not going to be anybody outwork Tosh Lupoy for B.J. Emmons. Now, the only thing to worry about with B.J., and it's a small worry because I think, they, as you'll hear in the conversation, they have a plan. But he's taken three summer classes to, uh, to continue to make up some, for, some, uh, for some deficiencies earlier in his high school career. And then, of course, he's going to have to pass everything during the year but they've also got uh, got him set up. He t- he's taken the ACT, has not received the score, but uh, they have already other times, just in case he needs to take it, they've already got other times set up for him to take it multiple times. They do believe he will qualify academically. And bottom line is uh, his high school coach compared him to a pretty good running back that just finished his eligibility at Georgia, and that's name's Todd Gurley from the same state. Ooh. All right, let me ask y'all another question. Who's this kid out of Texas? Not very big, but fly. And it sounds like to me he's got his brother walking on as a as a receiver or DB. I saw some highlights on him the other night. This guy can smoke, and supposedly he's going to be coming in in this year, uh, coming in this summer. What's uh, how did that work out? Y'all know who I'm talking. I think his first name is Tavin. If I remember right. You're talking about Xavier yeah, Marks, and 
Xavier Marks is a guy that is a, a kick returner and a, a small running back. And uh, despite what his daddy said and what he said, Big C, our information is that he signed a track scholarship and he's going to be a walk-on in football. And they're going to evaluate him for a year or two and decide if they want to move him over to a football scholarship. I know he said he signed football, and I know his daddy said he signed football. But our information is that he really signed track and that his brother is just a pure walk-on period, no scholarship at all. That's the, that's the story that we got from our sources. Okay. Yeah, Big C. And I think, but, as a matter of fact, uh, Torin is the other brother. They're twins. He's 5'11", uh, 170. They are, he is slightly bigger than his brother. But I think that, that, that both of them are going to be on track scholarships and be walk-ons in football because their father is a world-renowned – well, not world-renowned, maybe uh, – he, he's a he's he, in the state of Texas. He's a very highly thought of track coach. He's worked with Maurice Smith and Tony Brown and Kendall Sheffield, and uh, and I you know I think he's probably one of the better ones in the United States because Houston's kind of a track hotbed. But again, it's a shrewd move by Coach Saban though because I'm sure he's connected to other football players, especially in the state of Texas, uh, that run track, and it's going to give Alabama uh, a big time, you know inside with a lot of guys if you have that if you had that young man's uh those two young men's father on your side and he's already worked with several of your football players and you have others you're going to recruit in the future it is a once again nick saban uh, ahead of the curve yeah yeah i'd say that uh on that oh gosh i was gonna ask you oh Friend of mine was asking me, what is the difference between an authorized and unauthorized biography? You know what I'm getting at that now. Well, the difference is an unauthorized biography means you didn't get anybody's permission. You just wrote it and did your own research and didn't really interview the person you're writing about, and you just decided to write a biography of somebody. An authorized biography means that the subject cooperated with you and authorized you to do it and gave you a lot of long interviews and background information and that kind of thing. So unauthorized, that's not the case. The person just did a bunch of research and and, and uh, I'll tell you a good, okay, Pixie, you remember the book Bear by John Underwood? Yes. That was an authorized biography. You remember the book The Last Coach by uh, Barra? Yes. Well, Coach was already dead then, so he wasn't around to authorize it. But that's that's the difference. Yeah. Well, you know, somebody like them being a public figure, can you just go ahead and be able to do that, or can they just do that on anybody? During my lifetime, they've they've done it on anybody. I mean, as long as you're not putting a bunch of libel and slander out there, and you've done adequate yeah. research and checked sources yeah. and. Uh, it's, it's not really something people normally, normally, I won't say never happened, but they don't normally do other stuff like that. Well, I got to say this. It's the part what the AD, Texas, said to the agent made him mad. I'm glad he did that. But, I mean, I don't well, know. Well, I, I, I have reason to believe that, that, that there may be some truth to that, Big C, because, and, and Drew will back me up on this, that there was a red elephant gathering not that long ago where Coach Saban, without naming the word Texas, said he could have gone somewhere else and started from scratch, but he wanted to stay in Tuscaloosa and rebuild the program in Tuscaloosa. So I, right. I, I, tend to, I tend to believe that that part of the book, I don't have any reason to think any of the book is not true, to be honest with you. Say it again oh, one more true. time. I'm sure it's true. 
It's true. I'm, I'm sure it's true. After what I heard Nick Saban say, um, yeah, he could have easily gone to Texas. Jimmy Sexton was talking to those guys. But luckily, Texas is dysfunctional as Alabama used to be, and there was about a bunch of different boosters pulling a bunch of different people in different directions. They didn't want to give Saban total autonomy of the program. Some boosters at Alabama stepped up, took care of a financial situation for Coach Saban, and uh, smoothed things over, and the rest is history. Well, I'm going to tell you all something. He, he would have never been able to function out there because I know somebody that was an assistant out there, and the deal was every Friday during the football season, they, every coach had to go to a booster club meeting, which had over 200 boosters on a Friday morning and tell them what was going on. There's no way that Nick Saban would have done that. happen. That again, one more time. That was not going to happen. You're right. But you know what? I think I should be the author of the uh, authorized biography of Big C. <laughs> oh God! We'll have a whole chapter it. on that trip that you wanted that you made with other managers. <laughs> oh God! But anyway, um, now, I, now, now I saw that I, when they said it was coming in for football. I said, how can they come in, sign somebody up already? Let me ask y'all this, and I don't know if I got uh, asked y'all this or not. What was the deal on Desharius Flowers again on this? They found out that he had a problem academically, and then it, and all of a sudden he goes to the spring semester in school, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden he's not eligible to play football at Alabama. What was the? What do y'all know on that? What Academic improprieties with his test. His test score jumped too much, Dixie, and it got red flagged. And I think I we all know like what happened. Well, they should have seemed like they could have caught that way before now, though. Golly. I think uh, what happened was they found out why it jumped, Big C. I'm a little slow tonight, but okay. It's why it jumps. I'm, well, well uh, all I mean, I'll say is it's it's an educated guess, Big C. I'm not sure DeSherius took the test. That's what I that's what I, I know this well, that, that was probably true there. He didn't take that. No, I'm, just, I'm just glad they never caught that uh, 30-year-old man that took David Palmer's test all those years ago. <laughs> anyway, Big C, we're going to have to let you go, yeah. man. we got another call on hold, buddy. All right. Well, thank, thank you, man. We appreciate I'll, it. I'll, I'll, I'll have to text you later. I can't talk about it tomorrow yet. I'll text you later. All right. Okay. Keep on. Uh, we want to bring on another caller here. Uh, go ahead and let's talk now live on BAMS Radio. Welcome in, Bubba. You're live with Kerry Thomas and Drew. Hey, what's going on, guys? Y'all doing okay? Yeah, doing good, Bubba. How you doing, bud? Doing yeah, good. Doing good, man. I appreciate y'all taking my call, man. Um, you know, one thing I was wanting to talk about, I had actually, I think I'd emailed Murph and talked about this, but I'm curious about, I've noticed that when people talk about Alabama and our offense, that it's time for Saban to step into the, to the new times. He's going to have to get that hurry up spread going. He can't live in the dark ages and just, you know, live on the running game and he needs to get the spread quarterback. That's why he brought Kiffin in. That's why Sim started last year and Blake Barnett's here because he's, you know, kind of gravitating toward the spread because the spread is the thing. But for some reason when I'm watching these ESPN shows or, you know, whatever, they'll turn around and go, Boy, that's good stuff about Alabama. I talk about Arkansas and the first thing they say is, Boy, I gotta love Arkansas. Power running game, play action pass, play hard defense. They're gonna be good this year. 
and I always think, what's the difference? It's, I mean, I know, to me, Alabama would have better talent to do that anyway, but I don't understand why it's accepted with Arkansas. I imagine it's just because of the coach, but for some reason, they well, say that to kind of move away. Go ahead, Kerry. Well, and uh, my, I'll also say, and, and first let me just say it was great meeting you at SEC Media Days. We, I appreciate you know you listening to BAMs every week and supporting our show, our podcast, and, of course, my show in Huntsville. And, and, but I'll say, you know, they're, they're basing it on what Blake Sims did last year and Lane Kiffin's style. But I still think you're going to see a change in philosophy a little bit. You know, I asked Nick Saban this at SEC Media Days about, you know, molding the quarterback – or the, the offense to, to, to fit the quarterback's skill set. Now, if you had had Braxton Miller, who came very, very close to coming to Alabama, I confirmed that at SEC Media Days again with someone that spoke to Braxton. If you had brought Braxton Miller in, you would probably see much of the same, except maybe a little more ground-oriented that you saw with uh, spreading it out with Blake Sims, more quarterback runs. But now with this uh, skill set at QB, I still think you're going to see more of a power run uh, the, the running game may be designed more to be a zone plays outside because of Derrick Henry's propensity to like to run, to like to uh, bounce everything outside. He's more comfortable outside. But, again, I, I just think they're going to try to run the ball like they did in 08 and 09 and play action pass with these quarterbacks. Jake Coker and Cornwell will be the front runners. Blake Barnett's going to get a chance to compete. I still think he needs to get stronger. I have heard yesterday uh, uh, that he's up to 212 pounds, so – He's getting stronger, as we, as we know. I think he's always been confident that he can compete. Uh, but, you know, and, but I think really uh, that they're going to, they're gonna, uh, again, go back to more power runs. They're going to try to convince Plain Kiffin that, you know, this needs to be a ground-and-pound team uh, because, they, you know, they really don't have a quarterback that can sling it around. It. You want to minimize mistakes, minimize turnovers, and uh, be you know, similar to Arkansas. But one thing Arkansas doesn't have, Bubba, that they're not really talking about. They have a freak tight end in Hunter Henry, uh, a pretty decent receiver in Keon Hatcher, but really they don't have the wide receiver talent. Alabama does, and they can still get the ball to those guys, but you're going to need to run the football first to take pressure off, stay ahead of the chains, and I think that's what they're going to try to do uh, early on in the season and, of course, gain confidence for said quarterback. But they need to get Derrick Henry 20 touches, Kenyon Drake 10 to 12 touches, Damian Harris has been very impressive, of course, both Scarborough, Damian Harris and Scarborough could be used in the Derrick Henry role last year, which is closing games out when they get tired of Derrick Henry and Kenyon Drake. But, again, so they just need to keep those guys healthy, though. But, again, I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to go back to running the football, and I think they really like, you know, with their offensive line. I know Mario Cristobal is, you know, a lot of people have questions about the right side of the offensive line, but he really, really likes the potential as maulers and run blockers of uh, of uh, obviously Dominic Jackson at right tackle and Bradley Bozeman at right guard. And I'll let Kerry have his take. Well, actually, can I jump in? Just a yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Bob, I think there are two things here that, that kind of – that they've come out, but they haven't really been publicized. Alabama's defense played 160 more plays last year. And uh, that that has a deleterious effect you will wear down. It's just, it's natural. So with that, like, think about it this way. You don't want your defense to get run down in the long run. But in the short run, Nick Saban said during the ESPN car wash, he said that the team's going to have to lean on the defense. What does that mean? That means the defense is going to have to carry, particularly the early part of the season. 
So you're going to want to slow it down on offense. You don't want to go three and out in 45 seconds and then force the defense, who's going to be your real pillar early on, to go back out there. So I expect to see a lot more power game. And a lot of the stuff, it'll, Derrick Henry is a fabulous outside zone runner. If you, if you stretch him out, and you, he will find a cutback lane. And even though he does run high because he's a big guy, he will have the strength to break arm tackles. That's, that's Derrick Henry's game. You're not going to send him on dive plays. You're going to send him off tackle. You're going to send him on stretches. And that stuff burns clock, keeps the defense fresh. And if Alabama starts mauling and mashing, well, you saw what happened to Notre Dame a couple years ago. You saw what happened to Georgia a couple years ago. That's the kind of offense you're going to see from the Crimson Tide this year, if you ask me. And I think that would be great. That's that's my thing. I think it can work really well. I trust Nick Saban. I definitely trust Lane Kiffin. What he did last year was, as so many people have said, he can take the talent he's given and he can make it work. He can put the ball in the right places. He can find the mismatches on defense and exploit them. It just most people talk about, well, if Alabama, they're going to have they, – they can't keep doing what they've done in the past to win. And I just always disagree with that. I still think – if we get some kind of spread quarterback that can run and throw like Blake did last year, I like Blake Barnett, man, I'm all for it. Turn him loose and cut him loose. But on a year, like you said, this year, we're going to be easing a new quarterback in. We really don't have that threat. I'm perfectly fine with mauling, running, stretch plays, and all that good stuff. And a guy that's not going to turn the ball over and play solid defense. Now, one thing Drew said, I agree. I, I don't know if we can win a championship – with just that. We're going to need some good quarterback play. There's always going to be one or two games down the line. It's going to come down to a quarterback making plays, and it doesn't have to necessarily be scramble plays. He's going to have to make some pretty clutch throws somewhere in the third and the fourth quarter to move the chains, to get us in the end zone, to make a last-minute drive to win games. That's what's going to take us deep into the playoff season. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to and and hoping for, but I think we've got the talent to do it. It's just going to depend on what quarterback's going to step up and take the reins and, and prove that he can do that as the season moves on, kind of like A.J. in 2011. He started off, they kind of protected him, but as the season went on, he got better and better, and in the championship game against LSU, that's when they turned him loose, and supposedly at that time, the Honey Badger and LSU had the best defense in the nation, we weren't going to be able to do anything. And A.J. and Kevin Norwood just lit that cat up. It just it was, it was fun to watch. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for this year. Defense, kicking game, running game, special teams that can carry us through the year as a quarterback develops and develops confidence in himself and the receivers and the team. And then hopefully by the end of the year, he's going to hit his stride and we can push into the playoffs. So, and and I, I believe it can happen, but that's because I'm a big Bama fan. I think we've got the coaches and the staff and the talent place to do that. But um, and hopefully, talk well, we about appreciate it. that. And uh, we've okay. got another interview we got to get to now. But we okay, appreciate guys. your call. Those are, those are some very good points. And thanks a lot for thanks, calling, Bob. And hopefully, we can talk to you again next week. Roll Tide. Yes, Thank you, uh, Bob. At this point, we need to get on to an interview that Drew did with the uh, high school coach of BJ Emmons. I'll let you give a quick intro to that, Drew. Yes, it was uh, head coach Brandon Allen in his second year at Morganton, uh, North Carolina's Freedom High School. And uh, he's uh, had the privilege of coaching B.J. Emmons and I. You know, I sat down with him uh, this past Monday on, or excuse me, Tuesday. 
<laughs> pardon me, on Talking Ball, and uh, he was able. We were kind of able to break down his program, and of course, B.J. Emmons. And I hope you guys enjoy it. We're now honored to be joined uh, by his head coach uh, from uh, Morganton, North Carolina, and that's Brandon Allen. Coach Allen, how are you? Doing well. Thank you for having me, Drew. No problem, Coach. We appreciate you taking the time. I know you're preparing your team uh, for another season, and and from what I understand, this will be your second at Freedom High School, and. Uh, I know uh, if I was doing some studying on your career last night, and obviously it was a, a tough decision. You had uh, turned the program around at Tuscola, but you decided uh, to come to Freedom, and I know it's been a good uh, move for you. Oh, absolutely. It was a, and certainly it was a tough decision, Drew. Yeah, when you leave home, uh, you know, there's always some bittersweet taste uh, in those decisions you make, but you got to make decisions on what's going to be best for you and your family ultimately, and uh, I certainly couldn't be happier at Freedom High School. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a very successful program. And uh, I know uh, when you get a chance to inherit a, a talent like B.J. Emmons, that's always a great thing in your program. But you also get to help to mold a young man like that. And I know uh, that B.J. has had some maturing uh, to do uh, both on and off the field, but he seems to be on the right track. He is. He's worked extremely hard. Uh, you know, he, he certainly – uh, no different than any other kid as far as uh, facing life's task. Uh, sometimes we make poor decisions. and uh, But the good thing is B.J.'s learned from those mistakes and, and he's moving in the right direction uh, on and off the field. He's doing a tremendous job for us this summer, working extremely hard in the classroom and on, on the practice field. So uh, we're looking for great things from him. No doubt. And, and, and talk about him as a player, you know, from my audience. So they see he was committed. First of all, I guess the one thing, I've seen different heights and, and weights, but what is his current height and weight right now, Coach? BJ's about six foot tall, and he, he's weighing in right now at about 232 pounds. Uh, he's pretty consistent anywhere between 225 and 232, 234, somewhere right in through there. Uh, but he's pretty consistent right through there and uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. Yeah, and that, that, that's great size, Coach. I mean, you don't see too many high school backs at 232 pounds. And, you know, I've seen uh, the reported 40 times, for, and I know you guys work him out. Uh, I guess uh, the question to ask, first of all, is what, what, what was the last 40 time you guys recorded on him? Because to run a 4-5 at 232 pounds, that's, uh, that's quite, you're definitely a, an elite athlete and an elite talent. Uh, the last reported time that, that he has had was he had a Shrine Bowl combine, and it's been, I'm guessing, maybe a month ago, uh, and I think he recorded it at a 4-4-3. Uh, I know wow. that at the Under Armour All-American Combine down in Texas, he got recorded at a 4-4-8, and he was at 232 pounds uh, while he was down there. Uh, but he's right now, he is, he's in much better shape than he has been. Uh, at either one of those combines, he's worked extremely hard. Uh, this summer uh, to put himself in uh, uh, much better shape. He's stronger, he's faster, uh, and he's more mentally prepared than probably he's ever been. Well, and I think obviously, and I, and I was in the same boat, Coach. I'm not going to, as far as when I, and I wasn't and the athlete that BJ is. A lot of times when you're younger, uh, especially in your high school days, you're not as focused on your academics and you don't do as well as you probably could. But then when you realize it's time to graduate, time to move on in your life, you buckle down and you do very well and you finish strong. And it's not, it sounds like academically, you know, there had been some, some talk about his uh, grade situation, but it sounds like he's in the same boat and he's trying he's trying to take care of business. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of times as young, young people, and myself included, that uh, – 
you tend to not take high school uh, academics as seriously as we as we should. And, and BJ is no different just because he's a phenomenal athlete. He's still a he's still a student, he's still a young man. Um, but he has, you know, it's crunch time and it's all come down and uh, he knows that he's got to do things the right way. He knows he's got to make the grade. And uh, he was actually at school today uh, doing all of his all of his classwork. Uh, so he's doing everything that he can on his side of it to, to put himself in a position to be successful in the classroom and on the football field. And no doubt, Coach, and obviously we don't want to talk about the exact score, but I just want to know, is he has he already taken the ACT or SAT, or is that in the future? Uh, he, he has taken it. I have not received the score back on that ah, yet. Okay. Uh, but I do know that um, we've got it set up to where he's, regardless of whatever that score may be, we're going to continue to set up times for him to continually take it uh, from mm-hmm. now until uh, whenever he's going to report or whenever he uh, feels like that he is reached his peak performance on the test. Uh, certainly we want to make sure that, you know, it's up to the academic standards, uh, testing standards. But uh, we've already lined it up to where we've already mapped out everything for B.J. Uh, well up into the uh, football season. So he's going to have to take it several times. Absolutely, Coach. And, and it sounds like you're definitely doing – you've got a lot of – you know, the right setup both on and off the field for him. And watching the film of him, what, what was amazing to me, you talked about how he's a nearly six feet tall, 232 pounds, clocking under 4'5 in the 40. Is He's he's very a nimble young man, very good feet, uh, is able to run inside and out. He looks like, to me, to be the complete package as a running back on the high school level. He, he certainly is. And, and one of the things that, that, you know, I tell people all the time is something that gets overlooked is just how – how great of a receiver that BJ is! He uh, he runs tremendous routes. Uh, maybe the best route runner. And we got some good receivers on our football team. But maybe the best route runner we have on the football team. It'd be close. Uh, and it, you know, and it's foreign to him. He don't do it every day, uh, but runs great routes. Has phenomenal hands. Uh, so he is a weapon uh, for us, and he will be for Alabama as well. Uh, we certainly can move him all over the place on the football field offensively. And know that you know if we can get the ball to him, he's going he's going to do something special with it. And obviously, I've had people ask me about the com- the level of competition in the state of North Carolina, but all I can remember is for years. Uh, when Philip Fulmer's program was at their zenith, uh, Tennessee would raid the state of North Carolina for so many good players. Uh, and obviously Tennessee was heavily involved in BJ's uh, recruitment. But just kind of talk about the level of competition in your state because I think uh, the North Carolina is a little bit better than people think. I do. I think that we get a bad rap uh, as far as uh, what, what talent we have here in the state of North Carolina. I think we get labeled as a basketball state, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, but at the same time, I think that we got some pretty special kids in this, inside this state too. Uh, we've got some top top tier teams that compete at a high level every year. So I don't think the talent pool is as low as everybody seems to think. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the drawbacks that we have is we're not as fortunate as most of the southern states. We don't get a spring football. Oh wow! Uh, okay. You know, during spring, so I think sometimes that puts a black shadow over us, so we don't get to work with our athletes probably quite as much as other states give the opportunity to uh but you know we abide by the rules we do what you know we do what we can and and ultimately we're still putting out uh good athletes you gotta look at todd Gurley, who come from tarboro high school who's great point now uh you know he's a he's a tremendous uh tremendous running back a young man that played uh uh 2a football um 
you know, went on to Georgia, had a great career, and now has an opportunity to play in the NFL. So I certainly don't think that we're quite as low as people want to lead people to believe. Well, Coach, all I'll say about Todd Gurley is, you know, if, if not for the suspension and then, of course, the injury, I thought far and away he was the best player in college football last year and would have run away with the Heisman Trophy. Uh, and, again, that's a very good point. And if, if from what I remember correctly, I know he's nearing the end of his NFL career, but Julius Peppers came out of the state of North Carolina. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, you, everybody gets caught up in all, all these other states that are, uh, you know, what we consider football states. And, and, you know, they deserve that honor and that credit because they do put out tremendous athletes, but I think that we've got our share, too. No uh, doubt. You know, talking about Todd Gurley, I was actually watching some film on him last night, and there's so much similarity between him and B.J., uh, you know, just watching what he was able to do as, as a high school athlete and, and just in comparison with B.J., I think B.J. and him hold a lot of the same quality. Well, and, and, and talk about, again, his recruiting process to update my, the listeners. He committed to Georgia first, and, of course, you cannot blame him for that. You look at it, Todd Gurley's success. You look at the success of tailbacks at uh, Georgia under Mark Rick and, and with their history of, of course, of Herschel Walker, Lars Tate, all those guys. But just kind of talk about, what, first of all, I guess, why he decided to open up his recruitment again. Well, I think that, you know, as these young men, and I talk to several coaches, we kind of joke about it. You know, these young men go and visit, and then the next one they visit, it's the next big thing for them. It's something new and something exciting. So I think that B.J. went down there and, and had a great time and, and got to know those guys. And, and let's be honest, Georgia is a very prestigious football program, and anybody had an opportunity to go play for them would be honored. And, and B.J. was honored, you know, have an opportunity uh, to be offered by them. Um, you know, but B.J., I think, once, and I told B.J. this, is that understand something, B.J., there's going to be others. You know, this is still early in the process. So when all these other guys, all these other schools started to really, you know, take notice of B.J., um, you know, he needed to step back. And, and that was the proper decision for him. Uh, that was, you know, certainly not anything that I forced upon him. Uh, this is his decision for him and his family. I'm just there supporting and to help guide. Uh, but I thought he made a very wise decision for himself and his family to step back and, and reevaluate and see what all is going to be available for him. Yeah, and obviously he – and then uh, I've heard that he, he, he was offered, of course, by Alabama in late May, and he reached out uh, to the university. And uh, he obviously made two visits to the Capstone, and, uh, he, and he also visited Tennessee. I know they interested him quite a bit. Coach Butch Jones is uh, in the process of turning that program around. But I guess, uh, first of all, what was his thoughts before uh, – we'll talk about Tennessee first because I know they were heavily involved in his recruitment. What were his thoughts on Tennessee? Well, I thank you very much, like Tennessee. Uh, I certainly think that um, you know, if we want to rank, you know, I certainly don't. I don't like doing that, but I certainly think that they were number two on his list uh, when he made his decision. Um, you know, he really liked uh, Coach Jones. He really liked the uh, what Tennessee had to offer. Uh, the proximity was a lot closer to home uh, for him, um, as far as that was concerned. Uh, but after he took that first visit to Alabama and and had an opportunity to, uh, to meet Coach Saban and, and uh, Coach Burns and Coach Kiffin and Coach LePoe and uh, just be able to see how everything was structured, how everything uh, was run. Um, you know, one of the other big factors is when we had an opportunity to talk to the academic uh, counselor down there and, and they talked about how strong their academic 
uh, were with our student athletes and how seriously Coach Saban takes that. You know, I think that that put a little seed in BJ's mind that you know this this place is a little different. And uh, you know, coming back, we didn't really talk about it a whole lot. And um, you know, I wanted him and his family to be able to go and experience that together, uh, which they did. And ultimately, he he wound up committing to Alabama. And obviously, uh, they they impressed his family as well. And uh, and I know you've had a lot of young men uh, you've coached for uh, several years and move on to the college level. What was your impressions of Alabama's organization and the way they structured things? I know you've seen many schools. Uh, very structured, very detailed. Um, you know, just to, uh, just to the naked eye looking at it, it was uh, everything was on cue. There was uh, there was not a lot of standing around, uh, even down to the you know where we were being shown around. Everything was. You could tell they had put in a lot of time for the small details of things. Um, you know, the biggest thing that, that I took away from it was just the, the academic side of it, uh, that they make sure that their student-athletes are where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in a classroom. Uh, they monitor those things, and, and they hold them accountable. And I thought that was, I thought that was extremely important, uh, not for just B.J., but for all the student-athletes, um, you know, and I, just for a head coach to take the time to make sure that just the small details uh, to everything, uh, every T was crossed, every I was dotted, I was extremely impressed with Coach Saban and his whole program. Yeah, that, that's the big thing. I know he, uh, BJ was obviously impressed with what Coach Saban had to say. But I'd also, who is his lead recruiter for Alabama? Coach, coach LaFoe. Yes, and I was going to ask you about him because he I, I've been impressed, very impressed with what I've heard of him and Coach Tosh Lupoy. He was an intern last year, had done a lot of great things at, at first Cal Berkeley, his alma mater, and then Washington. But And I know you've had a chance to uh, to uh, talk with him one-on-one and see how he recruits. What, is, what has been your impression of Tosh Lupoy to this point? Uh, he's an Alabama guy now, I can tell you that. Uh, he's very much an Alabama guy. He promotes Alabama well. Um, you know, he he does a great job when he enters a school building. I was very impressed with just uh, just the way he conducted himself and the way he carried himself because uh, to him, he is representing the whole university. Uh, and that spoke volumes to me, uh, just in just in his manner of speech and um, those, those things that can be overlooked. Um, you know, I was very impressed with him. Uh, the one thing that I can say about Coach LaFoe is that Anytime I had a question or uh, if I needed to reach out to him, if I didn't get a hold of him immediately, he always made time to call me back. And, and I can't say that about every every recruiting coordinator, every coach. Uh, not that I'm important by any means, but he always made time to get back or reach back out to me to, to find out what I needed or how he could help. Well, and, that, and also – someone that I think is going to play a big part in his development that I know he I'm sure he's developed a a close bond with quickly especially in the camp setting but that is Burton Burns the running backs coach I've met coach Burns he's a great man and he has turned out not just at Alabama but at Tulane Clemson and now with the Crimson Tide so many impressive backs have moved on to the NFL and I know that had to play a part in his decision oh absolutely uh when we went back down several months ago uh BJ tweaked his hamstring a little bit, and it wasn't really, you know, it, it, it was not a true indicator of what his athletic ability is. Um, you know, and his time with Coach Burns was very, very short. Uh, but after he got an opportunity to go back and had an opportunity to sit down and speak with Coach Burns, and uh, 
develop a little bit of relationship there. I think Coach Burns is going to be a tremendous asset to BJ and uh, someone that BJ can lean upon and learn from. And and uh, you know, I think it's going to be a great thing for BJ. Well, and, I, and from watching film again, Coach, I was watching some huddle film of, of your football team and, of course, BJ last night. And, and I think one thing that, uh, that that struck me, too, is the transition is going to be a little smoother for him because of schematic fit. Because you guys, you do have run some spread, but you also run a lot of two-back, offset eye, and uh, which is kind of, which is doesn't, you don't see that as much in uh, as in uh, high school football anymore with all the hurry up, no huddle uh, wow. situations. But again, it looks like he's going to be a very good fit for the Crimson Tide. I, I think so. And I think that was another reason that, uh, that BJ decided to go to Alabama is just, just the structure and the type of offense they run. And I know that Coach Kiffin's doing a great job there. And they're, they are spreading it out a little bit more, but they're still a downhill running football team. And that's the type of BJ uh, back BJ is. He can certainly be an in-between tackle runner. Uh, he can also be whatever you need him to be on a perimeter as well. But uh, he loves running an A and B and C gap. And uh, I know Coach Saban has always taken pride in having a tough physical runner back there. Uh, that's going to wear on people in the third and fourth quarter, and I think B.J. certainly going to bring that through. No doubt about it. And obviously, uh, as you know, he's working hard in the classroom, as you talked about today, but he's also working hard to get ready for his senior season for your football team. I know your expectations are very high, but you know, talk about uh, your expectations this season at Freedom High School. Uh, we certainly – we've set the bar high. We've, we've made some adjustments to our non-conference schedule, so we're starting off with a, an extremely talented Shelby team. We want to – we want to know where the, we want to set our measuring stick early. Uh, we want to go out and we want to face the best teams that we can find in the state of North Carolina, and they're certainly one of them. Uh, so we're going to know really, really quick where we are week one. Uh, but we certainly have high aspirations for our football program. Uh, we certainly want to do a lot better than we did last year. We certainly had a great season. We stumbled in round one last year, and uh, a great team out of East Rowan come in and upset us. And uh, We certainly haven't forgot that. So we've taken that that mindset into the offseason that uh, that we don't want a repeat performance of what we did last year in the playoffs. And, uh, but we're going to take it one game at a time. You know, uh, we're focused right now on week one preparing for Shelby High School. Uh, and as each week comes, we'll prepare uh, for whoever we got. And but ultimately, we want to we make a long run in the playoffs. Absolutely. That was a really, really good interview there with Drew Diarmond and uh, – the coach, uh, Coach Allen, and uh, Drew. I got to tell you, man, in the short time that you've been in radio, you have really honed your interview skills. Well, I appreciate it, Kerry. Uh, and Coach Allen was tremendous. Uh, he gave a lot of excellent insight into B.J. Emmons and uh, his uh, ability as a player, and what kind of kid he is, and how far he's come. You know, both on and off the field. And I think Alabama, you know, has gotten an excellent prospect. And when you compare someone to Todd Gurley, and it was interesting that Coach Allen had been watching film of Gurley and. I remembered he was from the state of North Carolina, but didn't realize it was uh, so a smaller school than the one BJ is coming from. So it just goes to show you, as we talked about during the interview, there's a lot, been a lot of really good football players come out of North Carolina. They're not exactly known for their high school football, but I think they're kind of underrated. And uh, there's been people questioning his competition level, but like we talked about, uh, Todd Gurley, Julius Peppers came out of the state, and and uh, and another thing. Uh, yeah, obviously he has a recent potential because what, what, another thing I did not know, they, they don't have spring football in the state. Didn't realize that either, but we can't really let the show end, even though we only have a minute or two left, without getting a comment from you, Drew, on the breaking news story from uh, Pete Thamel at SI that 
we already knew that, that Braxton Miller was staying at Ohio State, but now apparently he's going to play H-back. Yeah, it seems to be the gist of it. I haven't had a chance to read the story yet, but Pete Thamel is uh, reporting that Braxton Miller will move to H-back, and you know, if so, wow. I mean, what a sales job by Urban Liar. I mean, Urban Meyer, and uh, you know, and uh, if that's the case, I mean, obviously uh, it goes to the point that I knew he wasn't going to be the starter, and uh, and of course, uh, Urban Meyer has made the comment uh, already in the preseason that all three would compete, and if but if he's already been moved to another position, then I guess that was pontificating all us uh, all summer by Urban Meyer. I mean, Urban Meyer, and uh, you know, and the, but the but the ironic part of it is there was a lot of rumors about maybe the shoulder not coming all the way back, and if that's the case, then that also answers your question as to why he's not at Alabama. Because I'm going to tell you, no matter if he can run a four three five forty or whatever, uh, you know, Braxton Miller has never played receiver in his life. And the University of Alabama would not have taken him as a fifth-year transfer to play H-back. They've already got one. His name's O.J. Howard. And so they, they wanted him as a QB. And if he's too injured to throw the football or they don't trust the shoulder and they want to uh, have J.T. Barrett and Cardell Jones fight it out, then there's your answer right there. And Alabama's just going to dance with who brung them. And, you know, hopefully, uh, I'm going to be honest, I'm just going to tell the lifters, what I'm hoping for is, uh, everybody has now got Ohio State as the number one team in America, far and away. And hopefully, what's going to happen is with a big target on their back. I mean, their their schedule's easy because they're in a puss league. But uh, obviously, uh, but with no depth in the conference. But hopefully, the last uh, month of the season is going to be rough on them with Michigan State. And what would please me to no end is to see the the uh, Mr. Harbaugh, the shirtless wonder that was in Prattville, Alabama whip Urban Meyer's butt and send him back to the loony bin uh, and cost him a national championship at the end of this coming season. Well, they go Michigan State, Michigan. That's the toughest part of their season at the very end. Yes, because the the Big Ten championship game will be against the push team from the other division, just to be blunt. <laughs> well, I think Wisconsin. That's Ohio, State, Ohio State's loaded, though. They're loaded. So they're, oh, they're loaded. They're, they're probably going to run the table, but we, we can hope that one of those two will get them. I, I, Michigan State I can actually see because they they got a pretty dang good team this year, too. I think Michigan State's got a great shot to win at least 10. But anyway, I, I didn't want now, to – hey, hey, guys, now it is breaking news on ESPN. Uh, he said he is switching to wide receiver, a position he did not practice all last spring. When Urban Meyer lied to him and got him to stay on the squad because he didn't want Alabama to whip his ass guaranteed if he went to Tuscaloosa and was a quarterback. And that's the well, last there you have it. show. Thank you so much for uh, Rodney Orr for joining us and for uh, the replay of the interview with Coach Allen. That was excellent. Very good job by Drew. Thanks to Big C and Bubba for their calls. And thanks to our listeners for hanging in here on another edition of BAMS Radio. A member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com. For Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. And for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. Good night, everybody. And roll tide.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.